that's it being a woman, isn't it? We're always either too much or not enough, and especially if you've got other identities with that. Welcome to Little Revolutions, brought to you by Frida. This is a series of conversations about the double standards, societal problems, and systemic injustices that feel bigger than any one of us. Every week, we talk to someone who's questioning the norms and rewriting the script. They're activists and politicians, artists and athletes, and many, many more. Each one of our guests talks us through relatable little revolutions they're making in their own lives and the ways in which we can all be changemakers, whoever we are. On today's episode, we speak to Nadia Whittam, the Member of Parliament for Nottingham East. Nadia was elected to Parliament in 2019 at the age of 23, and we talked to her about how to own your power and be taken seriously when you're the youngest person in the room. Just to note, we recorded this conversation in December, so Nadia references some of the things that were happening in the world and in the news at the time. Masuma, we're wearing like similar outfits. I know. I love it. <laughs> similar haircut, similar outfit. Yeah, yeah. We even look kind of similar. Someone in the office, when I told them that we were talking to you, they were like, you found someone who's just like you. I was like, that's, that's really flattering. Thank you. <laughs> so before we dive into everything, how are you doing? How's your day going? Yeah, it's going okay. It's been busy. I've been here since nine and I was on a bill committee this morning. One of the Lib Dem MPs has put forward this private members bill on um, sexual harassment in the workplace. So giving employers a duty of care, basically. So that's like gone through, which is exciting. We had PMQs and like various other bits. How about you? It's been going okay. It's, it's one of those, I feel like every day is one of those days where there's, there's just so much that happens, but obviously not as much as you deal with. I was thinking about it coming into work this morning where in my mind, when you are a politician, you do a lot of talking because we just see you on camera talking. But I imagine there's actually a lot of listening involved as well, where you're absorbing tons of information and probably do way more listening than you do talking every day. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah. In, in some ways, it's interesting because we never see that part. But that's the part that like enables you to do all the talking, which the invisible work you do. You obviously represent in some ways lots of different identities that don't get represented in the institution you're in. But before I define you, because we're all about people defining ourselves, how would you like to introduce yourself? How do you introduce yourself in a space like this? Hey, I'm Nadi Wissam. I'm the Labour Member of Parliament for Nottingham East, and I'm also the youngest MP in the UK. So in addition to that, if I had to add to your introduction, there's so many other identities that you represent, at least for me, on the outside, where you're young, you're brown, you're queer, you're working class, and even though you represent your constituency, you also, in some ways, represent a lot of other people who don't see themselves represented in Parliament. But you are also very different in some ways from the traditional MP, who is middle-class, middle-aged white man. And when we think about that, you've talked a lot about it, and I'm wondering if you could get into how have people responded to you, around you? How have other members responded to you? Have you had questions come up about who you are and whether you belong in that space? I think it's been a really mixed bag, actually. So when I first started, we do something called a maiden speech, which is the first speech that you give as an MP and you talk about your constituency and, and why you're there, basically. And one of the things that I said was that as sort of a young 
a young woman of colour from a working class background. I don't feel welcome in this institution. And I didn't think that that was a particularly controversial thing to say because obviously it, it wasn't built to serve people like us, all sorts of people it wasn't built to serve. It was built to serve a very sort of small section of society. And I remember my colleague Kate Green had said previously that there are more portraits of horses in Parliament than there are of women. So I thought, you know, this is this is an obvious point. And the Tories started heckling me and saying, she's only just got here and like, how can she say that and things. And on the one hand, I was kind of like, well, yeah, obviously I'm doing my maiden speech, of course, if I only just got here. But also, isn't isn't this obvious? Shouldn't so many more of us be trying to change the institution rather than just coming here and feeling like grateful to be here obviously I, I feel extremely privileged to be here but because my cons my constituents sent me here to represent them not because I've been like accepted into this elite world and I like taken in by all the pomp and the splendor of it all and when you are this is maybe a silly question but when you're being heckled what's going through your mind at that point like, are you are you thinking I want to respond in that way to these people, or do you just keep on keeping on? I'm just thinking, shut up! I let you speak, and I I sat here quietly while you were speaking because that's the polite parliamentary thing to do. So let me speak. Um, sometimes I'll take interventions from them, and sometimes I'll say no um, because they've had enough time, and I'm talking about something important. Previously, I've I've as I've been being heckled, but it's more kind of like lots of murmuring and chuntering. I've said, can people have a bit of respect and be quiet because we're talking about, this was during a social care debate and I used to be a care worker. And I said, can members be quiet and have a bit of respect because we're talking about the key workers who got us through the pandemic and they deserve to be treated well and to earn a wage that they can live on and for us to have a properly funded social care sector and I was just so angry because I know the conditions that people are working in, I know how much people are struggling to make ends meet and all of us who speak to our constituents have some idea of the the kind of scale at which people are struggling but for some MPs you know like Rishi Zunak he's the richest Prime Minister in British history, he's the richest MP in Parliament of course, he doesn't have an idea of what it is to struggle. He doesn't even know anyone who has struggled, let alone, like, struggled himself. But then what you were saying about how have I been received, I think on, on the one hand, there is more negative stuff like that. But there have been a lot of positives as well. Like, I get contacted by lots of people who are queer or people of colour, young, um, people who aren't represented in Parliament who pleased that I'm amplifying their voices and I feel really honoured to be able to do that because I know that when I'm in Parliament, I'm not just there for myself, I'm speaking on behalf of my constituents, but also lots of people who are making their voices heard and are making demands and I get to amplify those demands inside Parliament. Do you find that that's, that's the source of strength for you, the community that you have around you or the people who are who you're representing when when you're in those moments when you're being heckled or you're being questioned where you, you turn to that and you draw from that? Yeah, 100%. Because, like, I'm born and bred in Nottingham. I represent my home city, which is something really special and 
quite unusual actually, not everybody gets to do that. And when people are heckling me, it's like I'm very much there standing on the shoulders of these giants and standing with my constituents. So it doesn't feel personal. It's not like it's me. It's like it's all of us. It's very unusual. It's not like anything that I've done before. It was a real culture shock and a real baptism of fire. But I kind of felt like life before then had, in a weird way, prepared me for this, even though I was never expecting to do this, if that makes sense. It does. Are there specific instances which you could think of in terms of, even if it's like the the things you saw perhaps your mum go through or things that were happening around you or things that you went through where if looking back you draw the line now where it's like I went through that I learned in that moment and that's something I brought into this space with me I think there are there are lots of things and lots of kind of very personal things that I I don't think about every day um, but have helped me to become the person that I am now and then there are things like growing up under these Tory governments, the same people who are in power now, and seeing what they did to our communities, what they did to my family, my friends, my neighbours. And that's like that's why I'm here. That's why I got involved in the first place. And I kind of take all of that anger now and use it to speak with my community, not just for my community. That's That's a really lovely distinction that it's speaking with your community as well and not just for them. I imagine that the conversation with the community is constant for you as well to to get that that anger and that fuel as well to see how things are going for for the people who you represent. Yeah, because it's just like every day, isn't it? So I live in the same house that I grew up in as a teenager in the same street with the same neighbors and like we've experienced life together, have the same friends I had at school, people who you know, were struggling to get on the CAMS waiting list, who, like, EMA was scrapped before we could benefit from it, and lots of us really did need that. Like, we have our individual experiences, don't we, in life, but also there's a lot that we experience together, yeah, from the same government, the decisions that they've made, like, to scrap people's benefits, to introduce really cruel policies like the bedroom tax, which is what got me involved in politics. There's so much I could like go on and on, but I think people already know what the issues are, don't they? Because people are living them and it's more kind of what we can do about them and where we can find hope from that is interesting to think about, I think. And going back to something you said that I find really interesting, two things, you mentioned the culture shock that coming to Parliament was for you and then talking about living on the same street and having the same friends. Do you find that the centre of your universe still remains home in Nottingham and not Parliament over here? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, Only some things now at home kind of become, like, bleed into work in a way that's quite funny. So just, like, going out into town and doing stuff that I'd usually be doing and I end up speaking to people and getting stopped by people and we have conversations or even the most bizarre thing, I think, is going out like out out so we still go to the same club that we always went to and end up speaking to so many people there and sometimes it's positive feedback about casework that my office and I have helped with which is always really lovely and I'll speak to the team on Monday and be like oh I met this person at Bodega who we helped with their visa application and they're having a really good night out because they felt like they could relax for the first time in ages and the whole office takes a lot of 
like a lot of happiness in that. Is it hard that like you are always recognizable? You get stopped when you go to your favorite club. You don't get like space to just be Nadia. You you always have to be Nadia the MP now. Um, the funny thing about Nottingham is it's like the world's biggest village. So actually Nottingham is a bit like that for everybody. Like you can't really go out without seeing someone you know, which is great in a lot of ways because it feels really familiar and comfortable. But then, yeah, I guess not everybody wants that all of the time. But then when you're the local MP, it's like that on steroids. But yeah, sometimes it's it's quite funny. My friends find it really funny. Like we were in the club recently and one of my friends from school like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, oh my God, is it Nadia Wissim? And I turned around about to be like, hi, yeah. And it was my friend Sam. And I was like, piss off Sam. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my family finds it weird as well. It's just, it's all a bit weird. I can imagine. It's, I was going to ask you about, and it sounds like your experience is so different. Um, I'm sure you saw the Prime Minister of Finland when the video went out of her partying and it, it felt like she didn't have space to just be a human, right? There was all this outrage around just like her existing as a person. And she gave the really moving speech where she talked about like, I'm allowed joy and I'm allowed to be a person. Yes, I love that speech. I think that's so important because like, I'm in parliament as a socialist, not just because I I want to kind of, our economy to be fundamentally transformed, but I, I want our lives to be different and to be, just like for people to have the right to live comfortable happy lives and that means the right to joy as well it's like um what emma goldman said about it's it's not my revolution if i can't dance in it or something like that about people's right to joy and i think that that's really important and it's a double standard as well isn't it like when people were talking about the prime minister of finland men have hobbies like they go out and play golf at the weekend and no one begrudges them that so why can't we, like, go out and enjoy ourselves as well? How have you dealt with that? Because I struggle so much much with the double standards where I feel like there's this idea and I can never live up to the idea because I'm a person at the end of the day. And it's whatever I do, I'm either too much or not enough in some way or the other and it just feels like I'm stuck. And how, how, like, how are you dealing with that? That's it being a woman, isn't it? We're always either too much or not enough and especially if you've got other identities with that. Um, I mean, I was 23 when I was elected and I was just really firm from the beginning that I was still going to live a normal life. I was still going to be a normal woman in her 20s and I'm, I'm not going to be put off by people saying things. So I just do that. And so when people say things, have you learned to just like create distance where you don't take it to heart? People don't say things that much. Or in fact, maybe maybe they do, but I just don't see it because I know there is quite a lot of abuse and stuff online, and sometimes sometimes it's very serious, and my office have to sort of report it to the police. But I'm in the fortunate position of not seeing that um, because I don't look at it. But yeah, it's not fair for my staff to see things like that. If you had a friend who came to you and said, "I'm going through this," how have you gotten through it at a larger scale? Where you have all these other people's ideas of who you are thinking of all the people who are going to listen and watch this their their versions probably of your friends what would you say like how have you gotten through it I think it's a really hard thing being misrepresented isn't it and I think that's a really horrible thing for anyone to go through um and we've all had kind of experiences like that in life 
And I would just say to people that you know who you are and the people who love you and matter to you know who you are. And has that been for you the the thing that like you hold on to is just you know who you are and the people who love you and matter to you know who you are as well? Do you keep returning to that yourself as well? I think so. And also in a way that because like when you're a public figure, I guess that sometimes there's there are lots of people who want to tear you down, but there are also people who want to put you on a pedestal, which isn't a good thing either, because we're not going to we're not going to change the world just like through individuals none of us as individuals have very much power it's only collectively that we do so like yeah like we're, we're all flawed human beings aren't we there's no point in idolizing people not saying that people idolize me but I think that that's just a tendency that we have as human beings isn't it to kind of look for someone to save us when actually no one's coming to save us but we can we can like all save ourselves that sounds that also sounds really corny. I wish I'd stop saying corny shit. You're saying real things. Real things always sound a little corny. It's okay. Um, like institutionally, you have more power than a lot of us do. And I'm curious, are there things that are top priority for you when you think about young people, especially when you think about the the ways in which a lot of the policies in the current government are disproportionately going to have a longer term impact on them? What are you advocating for? Like what's the top of your list of this is what needs to happen? For me, like, the centre of it all is about justice, um, social justice, economic justice, climate justice, and not just having equality, because actually I think that, like, for example, as women, we don't just want to be equal to men, like, we want liberation for everyone. So I I think that that's something that young people really care about. I think we do have a strong sense of justice, and we've seen a lot of unjust policies and the impact that they've had like the private rented sector for example and the fact that local housing allowance is going straight into the pockets of private landlords and yet they're allowing people to live in shoddy conditions sometimes fatal conditions um so back to your actual question i think for me it's about a green new deal because that's that is about all of those things together So the Green New Deal is just this idea that if we invest in sustainable, green, well-paid jobs, that builds infrastructure, creates a more just world while solving the climate crisis as well, or at least mitigating the effects of it. And so many of these problems are obviously systemic, right? They're they're not, and as you said, it's not down to any one of us. Um, But for those of us who have less power than you do, we all we all still have agency. We all still have power. And calling this series "Little Revolutions," I'm going to lean into the corny a little bit here. What little revolutions can can we all make in our own lives to to feel hopeful and feel like we are not up against this like giant systemic thing that we can do nothing to solve? So we're just stuck and helpless, and the powers that be determine our collective futures. Like, what can what can someone listening or watching do to feel a sense of power? I think it's really easy to feel kind of fatalistic isn't it and that's what some people would like us to feel because they don't want things to change but actually there is a lot of hope out there and I think that we should be looking at struggles like workers going on strike and demanding their rights demanding better paying conditions we should look at people like the youth climate strikers who I honestly think if it wasn't for them parliament wouldn't have declared a climate and ecological emergency in 2019 and it's now at least has to pay lip service 
to tackling the climate crisis. But we were in a very different position even, say, five years ago. Um, so I would say to people, make sure you're in a trade union. I reckon that's probably the single most important thing you can do, not just for protecting your own rights, but for protecting and advancing the rights of your colleagues, but also the whole of the workforce, because the more people are in a trade union, the more powerful that collective body is, the more power it has to bargain and negotiate and force employers to treat workers properly, basically. That's how we got the right to the weekend and other kind of basic workers' rights that we have. And I'd say there are lots of social movements as well that you can get involved with, things like um, Black Lives Matter, environmental campaigning, and it's important for all of those things to work together. And the other thing that I'd say, of course, is to join a political party, because I think it's, I think at least some change is obviously possible through Parliament. Like, we can we can legislate for some things to be a lot better than they are. I'm not saying that Parliament will solve everything, but they kind of all work together. So you need the social movements to be putting pressure on politicians, but you also need to be part of party politics if that's going to be a vehicle to change things. That makes sense. Um, I guess the, the thing that I always think about, especially right now, is the news is so bleak and like life, like the news is life, right? The news is how we are all living and times are tough. And it's hard to remain engaged or become engaged when you feel like your humanity or your rights to to the bare minimum are in question and political talking points. And I like I know lots of people who stop there because it's just like a you're trying to push a rock up a hill and it's not that I'm fighting for big things, I'm fighting for space to to exist like everyone else, and that's the beginning and the end of the conversation. And I guess the question I'm trying to get to is like, where where do you draw hope from then? I mean, it is extremely grim, especially for people of colour, for disabled people, for women, for LGBT people, especially trans people who are like the latest culture war political football that parts of the right wing media and the establishment are kind of jumping on and saying, look at these people, they're the ones to blame for your living standards going down, um, It's whether it's trans people, migrants, Muslims, people of colour, the right always uses marginalised groups to divide and rule because otherwise they wouldn't be able to persuade people that, that they should have power because clearly they shouldn't. They only represent a tiny proportion of people, like the tiny elite. Um, but where do I get hope from? I get hope from my community things that maybe aren't in the news that you don't hear about, stuff like mutual aid groups. So there's this group in Nottingham called UK Mutual Aid, um, which is led by um, black women and non-binary people. And I think that that's just so important because a little bit like trade unions fighting for rights it's helping people in the here and now because we can't just wait for a Labour government and we also can't just expect a Labour government to just deliver everything on its own. Like People need to be there putting pressure on it because it's it, sh- it should be accountable to the wider Labour movement, which is basically everyone who works for a living or is in that class of people. Um, so that's that's one thing that makes me feel hopeful. 
And then the other thing is this wave of strikes that are happening at the moment. Virtually every trade union is balloting. People are, are rising up and are saying, no, like enough is enough. We need a pay rise, at least in line with inflation. Like As you say, the, the bare minimum, such basic demands. We need proper terms and conditions at work. Those are the things that really give me hope. And is there anything on a on a more like daily level that you turn to as a ritual for hope or a space for hope, joy? You talked about the right to joy, and I'm curious about like what that what that actionably looks looks like for you, because there are probably plenty of people out there who are like, yes, and what does that actually mean for me? Right, like how can I in my day to day find hope? I think I mean for me, like my source of hope in like my very close life is probably my friends um and all of the amazing things that they do like um both kind of campaigning for like reproductive rights and women's rights for trans liberation um but also just kind of the the comfort that we give each other um other sources of joy football so I'm a season ticket holder at Nottingham Forest, which is actually more joyful than it sounds because we've been doing a lot better recently. Um, that's why, actually, not to make things kind of turn things back to the political again, although I guess everything is political. Um, that's why I think this year's World Cup has been so difficult for so many people, because especially for LGBTQ football fans, because football has this amazing power and ability a little bit like music to kind of speak to people across borders to bring people together you don't need to speak the same language but instead of being run from the grassroots it's run by FIFA and they're just doing the most appalling things awarding it to Qatar in the first place stopping teams from wearing rainbow armbands ignoring um pleas from human rights organizations for sorry, government to pay reparations to migrant workers, thousands of whom have, have died in building infrastructure for the World Cup. It's it's hard because you started with hope and you ended with how things are so hard. And it's like, a how do you hold both at the same time? Yeah, I think, I think in some ways it's easy to hold stuff at the, at the same time because it's like from the all the difficult stuff and the struggles that the hope often comes from because it's the resistance to to those bad things and because that's like the hope that it gets that it can get better or not that it can get better just by itself but that we can make it better that's really beautiful it makes a lot of sense i know we're running out of time so is there anything that i should have asked you that i didn't i don't think so this has been it's been really nice to talk to you like i guess like what do you think about these things what gives you hope that's a good question I think it's the small things for me it's like the really small things like last night I'd had a really tough day at work and I talked to my best friend about her baby and her newborn and it was like that that was enough for me just like life continues right like there's still babies and there's still puppies and and I guess like that the vast majority of the world is like the vast majority of people are good people yeah even though Sometimes if you look at the news and you look at social media, it feels like the opposite. 
do you feel like you get enough interaction? This is like actually me feeling very clueless about what an MP's life is like, where you have like the the high level, right? Like the super, like 10,000 foot level. Do you feel like you get enough interaction with people to remember that people are good people and there's hope and it's, we don't, we're not just ideas and like large numbers that you're moving around and advocating for or against? Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what recharges me is like going home, going to the pub, chatting to people and just like people people are mostly really really good people and it like makes you it just like makes you feel nourished doesn't it it's I imagine it's very hard with your schedule to like fit in the nourishment but like the nourishment that comes from like going to the pub or going to a football game yeah I guess like for anyone life life gets in the way doesn't it but you have to make time and that's easier for some people than it is for others like it's a lot more difficult if you're working four jobs to find time for yourself or if you're a single parent for example so we do it where we can yeah thank you so much this was such a lovely conversation and I'm so grateful we ended on hope yeah me too yeah I really enjoyed it Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Nadia for joining us check out our show notes for how to follow her this episode was brought to you by Frida. Our producers are Claire Richardson and Abisoye Adelusi, and I'm your host, Masuma Ahuja. Please don't forget to follow Little Revolutions wherever you listen to podcasts and to leave us a review. It really helps. <laughs>